2: Welcome to the show. It's Monday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, maybe something that you experienced or saw at church. All you have to do is to provide the phone call. 210-340-9585 is our primary number. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at com, Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, had a great weekend and I um, want to thank you for your patience. We had uh, pre-recorded programs on Thursday and Friday. Normally we take the radio program on the, on the road with us, but I was actually speaking at the conference in Houston and uh, the time frames just didn't work out. So uh, we thank you for your patience, and we will do the best we can not to be away from the microphone uh, again. Hey, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, we have our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies going on at 7 o'clock. Paula will actually be teaching uh, the women tonight at 7 o'clock. That can be seen at CalvarySA.com. Uh And... Um, um, make it a family affair. Kids can come with you. We have child care for the really young ones. But our high school and junior high school um, studies are going on at the same time. You know, uh, in Houston, it was a Texas-Oklahoma Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference. It was great to see the guys again. Um, But but it it was very encouraging, I think, to all of us. Uh, A lot of people there, they're excited about what the Lord is doing. And it's just sort of, it's almost like after the last two and a half years, Um, things felt normal again. People weren't discouraged or depressed. Um, They they were really excited about the work that God was doing. And uh, it was neat to be around them. So I appreciated it uh, being there very, very much. Let me get to questions while we await your phone calls. We've got a bunch of them that have been sent in. Here is our first question. It is anonymous. Hello, Pastor. Hope all is well with you and Paula. Thank you for that. May I get your thoughts or opinions of Pureflex? It's a streaming service, but with Christian or faith-based movies. Not sure if you are savvy, but wanted to see if you would recommend it for a household. Um, yeah, I don't see any reason not to recommend it, Anonymous. I have actually seen Pure Flix a couple of times. I just think two things. One, the quality of movies is really bad. And I'm just one of those guys that thinks if you're going to do something, do it really, really well or don't do it at all. And when you see the quality of movie, the quality of, of cinematography, you see uh, the storylines, uh, I think they're old and tired. And uh, the other thing I noticed on Pure Flix, there's a lot of movies that aren't really Christian messages. They're good and they're wholesome. But um, I think if you enjoy it, then it's fine. Uh, I wouldn't waste money on it personally but if um uh if you enjoy it uh, then yeah there's nothing wrong with it and I would uh, just encourage you to go and to watch let me say one thing I'm I'm not a fan of I'm going to use your term faith-based movies um if if I'm seeing a, a Christian movie it needs to be overtly Christian it needs to be correct um, in in terms of the the doctrine that it's presenting uh but just soapy movies movies you can get that on Hallmark channel um but but uh, again this is a, a matter of personal taste uh, certainly nothing wrong with it and uh, i just personally found uh, the little bit of time that i ha- i had a preview uh, i just didn't see much selection there that was interesting to me so uh that's the best i can do with that one anonymous appreciate you sending the question in Here's a question from Victor from our email inbox. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing. Pastor, what are your thoughts about going to a place like Hooters? I'm not sure if you've been there, but when I walked in and saw waitresses with short shorts and a bikini-like bra, it's been about five years since I've been there. Not sure why I've not gone back, but I really like the wings from there. I took my food to go, but I was wondering if those places are okay for Christians to eat and go. Victor, uh, if you were convicted the minute you walk in, then it's not a place you should go. I would never tell somebody that you shouldn't go to Hooters. If somebody says, I love the wings and the, I'm, I'm not tempted to look at the girls and I don't have lustful thoughts, I, I think that's perfectly okay. But if you walked in there and you were convicted, then your conscience has to be worth more to you than the the, the tasty wings that they have. So these are individual things. Um, you know, we we Paul and I we vacation at the beach every year and we see women wearing a lot less clothing than, than they they wear at Hooters, um, but you know, it kind of fits there. I just think in a restaurant for me, it's inappropriate. And no, I've never been to one, I don't like um franchise restaurant food, um, but but uh, I wouldn't go. Uh, and in this case, Victor, uh, you don't mention a wife or a girlfriend, but if you going there would make her uncomfortable, then then certainly that's not something that you'd want to do. But, uh, you know, if you like the wings, I don't see anything wrong with going there and getting your food to go, or uh, hopefully they have a drive-up window or something. Uh, but, but if your conscience has been convicted... And it's just better to stay away. I'm sure you can find wings someplace else. I'm a little surprised at your question because I kind of thought Hooters had gone out of business and sort of um, fell out of favor. Uh, but if it's still up and going, um, just use your conscience as your guide. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. And I think that's perfectly okay to do that. Three four Let's go to our friend Ruben from on Line 1. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, God
3: bless you, Pastor Ron. Missed you the past Th- four days. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad you're back. I, um, I listened partially to it, but uh, there's been a lot of pain the past four days. And asking for prayer, if you don't mind, for
2: okay.
3: this pain on my back. Um, but it's given me, you know, I lay in bed, but I read the Bible. So Good. Um, I was in uh, John and Romans, just going back and forth. Um, John 6, 53. Um, can you, I know that obviously what Jesus tells his disciples isn't, you know, um, what do I want to say? Isn't uh, like... He doesn't actually want him to do this. Jesus tells them that Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. And then he said, whoever soever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. OK, so this is a two part question. What. Exactly, does he mean by eat my flesh and drink my blood and then when he says i will raise him up at the last day um i was under the impression when we die we go to heaven um can you explain and correct me if i'm wrong
2: yeah, I can, Ruben. Thank you very, very much. And I'm sorry you're not feeling well, and we will continue to pray for you. A couple of things, and I know I say this on this program a lot, and I know a lot of people don't really get this, but you have to understand the Jewishness of Jesus' messages. If you if you don't understand the Jewishness of his messages, you're going to lose the point. Now, here's what's happening. A lot of people are coming around Jesus because of the miracles he's doing, uh, the crowds are immense, uh, and everybody's excited about uh, about uh, uh, following Jesus. But Jesus, because he knows the heart of man, uh, he's going to let him know, and that's what this is all about. If you want to follow me, I want all of you. Now, this is a message that Jesus could communicate very effectively to our church culture, Ruben. So this isn't about who's saved or who's not saved. What he's saying here is, um, um, he he starts out, let me go back a couple of verses, verse 50. He says, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Now, Jews would obviously understand this as a reference to the manna from heaven Um, in the Exodus wilderness. Um, they were complaining about food, complaining about water, and God provided it for them every day. Manna from heaven would would come down. God would actually put up uh, this is so so tender of God, uh, a layer of dew on the ground so that the bread the manna wouldn't get uh, um, dirty. Uh, and then and there would be manna for I don't know three million people each and every day. And Jesus now saying, just like that manna sustained you in the wilderness for 40 years, I'm the fulfillment of that manna. I am the bread. If, 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 you, if you partake of this bread, you will live forever. And he says, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So he's talking about something now that's coming ahead in the future. And what's the future, of course, is the cross of Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, and his resurrection from the dead. Um, And it's because he said this that some of the Jews and later um, enemies of the first century church, um, they would say these Christians are advocating cannibalism. That's to miss the point altogether. So what Jesus is saying uh, to these Jews who are opposing him, and he knows they're in opposition to him, Jesus is simply saying, okay, why are you following me? Are you here for the miracles? Are you here because everybody else is here? And here's what he says in the verse that you reference, verse 53, verily, verily, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, Jews would understand that as being consumed by the Lord. Um, they, they, they just to give their whole bodies, the, the the burnt offerings, the sacrifices um, can, prescribed under the law. Uh, the beauty of the, the the burnt offering was that it was completely consumed on the altar of sacrifice. And Jesus is telling um, the, the Jews that he's speaking to here, the same thing is true. You've got to follow me and be consumed. I, I need to be, be your priority, your only priority in life. So this isn't about a religious ceremony. I want all of you, I want your whole life. And he said, unless I have your whole life, uh, you don't really have life in you. Um, and then he makes the promise of eternal life. Now, a couple of things that are important because what happened after this, um, the people left. You know, they started leaving. Uh, it's not the Gospel of John, but in one of the other Gospel accounts, um, the people start to go away and and Jesus says uh, to them he said, they said to the lord lord are you are you why are you sending them away they didn't understand that and Jesus just looked at them and said answering the question he said are you too going to leave and uh, their response Peter's response was um, where else would we go you alone have the words of eternal life well that's what Jesus wants for the 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 people that he came to die for he wants them to surrender their lives to him. And this is more of a counting the cost. If you want to follow me, then you've got to give all of me. And Reuben, this is something that I say pretty much weekly when we're giving invitations. Um, You know, we make a profession of faith with our mouth and we think that's enough to save us. And Jesus said, no, to be my disciple, you got to pick up your cross. You got to follow me. And and that's what he wants from us. Even now Uh, we follow Jesus. He becomes our priority in life. And he is the, not only the only way to the Father in heaven, but, but he has to be our life. Paul writes, when Christ, who is our life, appears. And for those of us that, that love Jesus more than anything else in this world, he is our life. He's the reason for living. He's the reason for, for walking the earth. And um, that's what Jesus was saying from the beginning. So this is a very Jewish and yet consistent message with what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12 when he said, In view of what God has done, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And uh, most of the people, again, Jesus knew what was in the heart of men. For most of the people, Reuben, um, they they didn't want to surrender. They want to be in control. And yet they still, of course, want to be connected with God. They still want eternal life. Jesus saying, nope, the way to have eternal life is to surrender everything to me. We think that going to church, we think that being a good person, we think that occasionally opening our Bibles, answering an altar call, or getting baptized, we think that's what saves us. And nothing could be farther from the truth. What saves us is a radical commitment, being born again, a radical commitment to Jesus Christ. Good question, Reuben. Thank you very, very much, Here's a question from Jerry from our email inbox. Jerry, and I read this one a minute ago, and I'll tell you, Jerry, I was laughing the whole time. Pastor Ron, please help me out here. My wife is not happy. Well, now she is. And then he laughs. Do Christians have to wear wedding rings? I kindly asked her if I can leave the house without my wedding ring. We've been happily married for nearly 20 years. We have three children. She is the love of my life. Personally, I do not like wearing jewelry or wearing anything that I don't have to. She's gotten after me about my ring on several occasions. I also brought this up because our pastor does not wear his wedding ring. He's young, mid-40s, smart, and a really good-looking guy, something I'm not. He also told me that his wife is okay with him not wearing a wedding ring. Personally, I believe she, meaning his wife, has nothing to do, nothing to worry about. I did not want this to be a marital issue, and so I wear my ring. But does she have a case? Jerry, I just want to say thank you and congratulations for wearing your ring because it makes your wife comfortable. I want to say that to you. Uh, That's the whole point of this. We're we're here to be servants to our wives, and the way to lead them is to be servant leaders. And we need to be uh, responsive um, to to the things that... uh, strengthen them, the things that bless them, and also the things that concern them uh, with regard to our behavior. So uh, if she wants you to wear a ring and she's comfortable wearing a, with, with you wearing a ring, then that's something that you are doing good for you. Good for you. Now, let me talk out of the complete other side of my mouth. I've been married for 50 years, been with Paula for 53 years almost, and I've never worn a wedding ring. And I've had people look at me and be critical. Um, um, well, well, why aren't you letting people know that you're married? First of all, no, nobody's crushing on Pastor Ron, so I, I don't think everybody knows that Paul and I are married. We go together like no other couple that I know. I mean, nobody thinks of me without thinking of Paul, and now they think of Paula without thinking of me. But but everybody knows that uh, that we're married. Everybody knows how I feel about Paula. And I speak intentionally. I speak intentionally about Paula uh, from the pulpit all the time because I want people to know. Now, the reason I don't wear a writing ring is simple. I can't stand jewelry on my fingers. I've never worn a ring. I got a high school uh, class ring, and I was in a speech contest. I mean, literally, the weekend I got it. I got it like on a Friday. I was in a, a speech tournament on a Saturday, And we're sitting in there, and I've got this brand-new class ring. I was really, really proud of it. I mean, I I liked the way it looked. I thought it was cool, but I couldn't leave it on my finger. And I was flipping it like a coin and catching it. Well, I missed it one of those times I flipped it, and it went right down a hole where the, the, uh, um, the cooling system and stuff was. And I lost it. I mean, I'd had it for a day. And I lost it. I just can't stand it. And Paula has no insecurity issues at all with that. If she did, I would figure out a way to wear a ring. But she doesn't. And I'm grateful for that. Um, But um, it's not a big deal. Everybody knows that we're married. You said personally, uh, you believe your wife has nothing to worry about. What's important is what she's worrying about. And if it's important to her, then that's something that you do. Really good question. Thank you very, very much for that. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, here is a question from our mobile app. This one comes from Chip. He said, could you comment on a few things for me, please? Uh, even though the apostles are mentioned in the first chapter of Acts, chapter 6 mentioned them, mentions them specifically as the 12 in verse 2. Is that the first time they're referred to, referred to by that title. Let me take these one by one, Chip. Uh, I think it is. I don't know for sure, but it would be easy to figure it out with a concordance. Uh, but, but here's what Luke is doing as he's writing uh, the book of Acts. He's distinguishing them from the other followers of Christ. So the 12, and that's Probably a reference to the way they were identified uh, by the the people there. You know, uh, uh, Peter is one of the twelve. John is one of the twelve. Andrew is one of the twelve. So um, that was just sort of a, a, a way of acknowledging that these are the guys that were with Jesus. And these are the guys that God has used to to launch the Church of Jesus Christ that we're all a part of now. So, um that they're mentioned by as the twelve, I think is intentional, um, and I think uh, people would understand that. Then he says also in verse seven the mention of priests becoming obedient to the faith. Could you elaborate on that situation? Uh, I can do that as well, uh, Chip. You know, I, I did this Bible study uh, yesterday. And I don't know if he's writing because of that. But the mention of priests becoming obedient to the faith, uh, it, it's sort of like the Holy Spirit is pointing out that even the most religious people, these would be Levites, people that, that functioned uh, in the Jewish priesthood, um, their eyes and their hearts were being open to the reality, the truthfulness of the message of, of the apostles. And that's what happened yesterday, uh, the study in Acts chapter 6 Yesterday was simply the the dispute that arose between the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews and uh, the the conflict resolution that solved it. And a result of solving the conflict was that people were moved in their heart. And uh, so it was simply when Christians act like Christians, people that are not Christians get saved. We're we're rightly representing the Lord in that, so that's what's going on there. And then he says, and finally, why he Jews and Grecian Jews? Aren't they better designated as Christians? Um, Chip, they're Christians for sure. But you you uh, in, in order to understand the the circumstance that was going on in Acts chapter six, uh, you you've got to be able to tell the story. And the story is to identify um, the, the differences. In people based on the schism that was going on uh, in the early church at that time. The Grecian Jews were the Hellenists of the day. And they probably outnumbered, just by sheer volume, the Hebraic Jews. And they were more Greek in culture than they were Jewish in culture. They were Jews. Uh, they become saved, but, uh, you know, they you don't just all of a sudden let go of the things that you've been raised, but they were Greek in culture. The Hebraic Jews lived in and around Jerusalem and Judea, uh, and their Jewishness dominated their lives and dominated the church. And basically what was going on was that the Hebraic Jews thought of the Grecian Jews as being less spiritual. And, you know, if they're not like us, then they're not as spiritual as we are kind of thing. And what happened was they noticed that the Hebraic Jews and the the widows of the Hebraic Jews were getting more food and the Grecian Jewish widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. And so there was an opportunity for division to arise and the uh, apostles took care of it. Great wisdom was demonstrated in solving the problem. And so that's what happened yesterday. But that was simply a way of, of identifying the two parties in the dispute. Jew against Jew, but they were completely different cultures. So I hope that makes sense to you, Chip. Good question. Thanks very much. Anybody who's interested, you could go to com, And uh, that was the Bible study that I actually did yesterday here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Here is a question uh, from our mobile app. This one is anonymous. Uh, he or she says, "I know that mental health nowadays is abused and overused. Does mental health matter? And is it serious for saved believers or any one really?" Uh, anonymous. Very quickly, mental health is um, you know the, our our world emphasizes things and people jump on the bandwagon. Um, the only way to, to be mentally healthy is to love Jesus with all of your heart. Let the Holy Spirit take over. Um, you're right. The, 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 I'm concerned about my mental health. That's sort of a buzz phrase now, and and, and people will respond to it. Uh, so, yeah, it is abused, and it is overused. Um, but mental health is a serious matter. Anybody, it's a serious matter. Uh, but But it needs to be real and not contrived the way so much of it is in our culture now hey we'll um, be taking a break 340-9585 this is the word to stand up for life i'll be back in two minutes
1: back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the show. Thank you for sticking in there with us. 340-9585 or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. Let's go to New Brunfels and talk with Harmon on Line 1. Harmon, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Thank you. Can you hear me okay?
2: I can hear you well. Thank you.
4: Okay. I, I've had a, a a question. Of I recently hired a, a, someone to do a roofing job for me, and... Um, uh, uh was pleased with the man that i I thought I was dealing with well uh, i had uh i had before i started this I had been praying for someone to be sent to me someone uh that I could trust and uh to be with me through this ordeal because I had never done it before, mm-hmm. and i didn't know that much about it
2: and uh
4: what's happened is that uh, i get, just made a partial payment i haven't made the whole payment but uh it seems like uh i'm i'm not getting i can't uh, get no results from the man uh he has the company has supposedly been here for a while and i'm just uh trying to figure out if I've been had or if this guy's going to take the money and go, and what I'll never see him again. But my question is, uh, Pastor, is that uh, I'm doubting my own self now and my own faith because yeah. I thought I was going into this the right way with having God into it uh, from the very beginning and uh, everything seemed to be going right, and so forth, but the work has never been done. Uh, The man is, uh, he very little, uh, he doesn't like to have to answer questions, he doesn't like this or that. So, I'm beating myself up because, you know, I did this in good faith, and honesty and I've been I was praying about it and I am I have been baptized and I'm a Christian and I know of my mistakes I've made in the past and the years and so forth. But I'm at a point where now I'm even questioning my own faith. Yeah. When when I asked for help before not after I got in trouble, before and uh I, I, I'm, I'm, questioning. Uh, I thought I did the right thing.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. Harmon, let me let me help you. I can encourage you. I hope. Um, you know, one of the things that as Christians we have to get used to the fact that we live in a world where spiritual warfare is a fact. You know, we pray for God to send us somebody, um, and 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 somebody comes along just at that time, and we think, oh, that's an answer to prayer. And we think, okay, that's going to be perfect. I'm not going to have any problems. The devil hears our prayers too. Now, I'm not making a comment about the person that did your roof. I'm not saying he's from the devil or anything. I don't know him. But but here's the thing. When we're approaching, and, and I think this is the best thing for Christians to do, when we have a business transaction that needs to be done, we need to honor it like a business transaction. And we need to do it with contracts. And we need to do it. Uh, with with the expectation that there could be difficulties, we we certainly don't want to compromise our our witness. But there's nothing um, um, wrong with saying, um, "Here's the money I'm going to give you, and I expect in exchange for that money that the service that I've paid you for is going to be done, and it's going to be done professionally." So here's what I want you to understand: this isn't this isn't the test. The test isn't the fact that. You, uh, you hired somebody to do your roof and it didn't work out. The test is, how are you going to respond to your disappointment? First uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, It is required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. And Harmon, it's these kinds of tests that God is going to use to, to um, hone your Christianity, to make you stronger, to help your faith grow. And so the the, the the real test now is how are you going to respond to this? Now, on a practical level, I wouldn't pay him another penny. I wouldn't pay him another penny. The other thing I would do if I were you now, I would be praying for this man. I'd be praying that, that he would get saved. If he's not acting like a believer, if he's not conducting his business in a straightforward manner, then pray for him so that your heart doesn't get Um, hard toward him, this is a man who needs Jesus. The third thing that I would think that you would do is now start seeking the Lord earnestly for direction. Lord, how do I fix this? And and sometimes these lessons are going to cost you a little bit of money. But this doesn't say anything about your faith. Try to find out what God is trying to teach you through this. And Harmon, I don't know anything about your walk with the Lord. You do, obviously. Um, uh, just because we ask God for help for something doesn't mean that the next thing that happens is going to come. I deal with this a lot with people who who will say, well, well I was praying for a husband and this man showed up. Well, we still have to be diligent. Jesus talked about being um, uh, wise as 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 in these situations, but also to be shrewd. In these situations, we need to be careful in these situations. So, Jesus, what are you trying to teach me here? How can I learn from this? And most importantly, how can I honor you from this point forward? And um, you know, I've done a lot of things that I thought were the right thing that turned out not to be, or the the, the results weren't what I expected them to be. Uh, and every single time, Harmon, every single time. Um, the, the the value that I received by going through the trial uh, was worth far more than if everything would have gone smoothly. I think it's really important we understand there's going to be spiritual warfare. People lie. People take uh, advantage of other people. And that doesn't mean that your faith is inferior. It doesn't mean that God has forgotten about you. All it means is that now is the time when you really and truly need to turn to the Lord with all of your heart and say, okay, Jesus, what now? And Harmon, here's another promise I'm going to make you. If you'll get in your Bible, and I, I again, I don't just mean open it, but I'm I'm just trusting that you're reading your Bible regularly. Um Ask the Lord to give you some direction from his word. That's the way he's going to speak to your heart. And in the end, your faith is going to grow. Uh, and you're going to experience the presence of God. You're going to experience how God takes you through these solutions. And um, um, every day, every day, uh, you'll grow closer and closer to the Lord. So don't pay him any more money unless he's willing to come and do the job. Um Um, But but ask the Lord to help you. Um, You know, we can be wise. We can look at reviews from other customers, typically people who um, treat their customers the way you've been treated. There's going to be a a trail um, on on Yelp or Google reviews or something. You're going to be able to find that other people have been um, uh, taken advantage of as well. Um, But the fact that there are just bad people out there who conduct business dishonestly, it says nothing at all about your faith. Your faith now is going to be proven by the way you respond. God loves you. Uh don't doubt your faith. Uh too often we Christians we have the the approach that, well, if I if I ask God to help me, then he's gonna take care of everything, I'm not gonna have any problems. This world is filled with problems. You'll remember Harmon that Jesus, the very first thing that happened after he was uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, and by that I mean the Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove uh, after his baptism with John. He was sent into the wilderness by the Spirit of God to be tested directly by the devil. And so this is a test, just considered a test, and this is no reflection on the Lord at all. And here's the question for you. Do you love him just as much now that you've had the problems as you did when you didn't think there would be any problems? And usually, Harmon, in times like this, God is growing our faith. And the way he can reveal himself to you is how he responds when you invite him in to take control of a situation. Harmon, I hope this helps you. Uh, Let me tell you a very quick story. Um, I've I've been praying for a building. You know, our, our building is inadequate for our needs. I've been praying for a building. We've been here for almost 28 years. I've been praying for a building for 28 years. And um, there was a time when I thought um, we had one. We, we actually made a deal on the building. And uh, I went over to pick up the keys one day to the building, thinking, oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And I went over there, and there was some a detail, a, a, an important one, but a detail that had been changed. And, and I knew right then that that was God protecting me. So whatever God is teaching you, it's designed to increase your faith, And now the enemy is trying to use it to make you question your faith and the two aren't connected at all. And my counsel for whatever it's worth would be say, Lord, um, I got myself into this mess. I'm going to count on you to get me out of it. And here, Harmon he'll show off for you. I promise you that. Um, But you got to learn whatever it is he's trying to teach you. In the process. So don't be discouraged. Tests are necessary. And because God loves you, He gives you what is necessary. And you're going to grow through this in your faith. Harmon, thanks for the call. I appreciate it very, very much. I would appreciate a follow up call. Let me know how it goes. And um, I can just tell you that if you really seek Jesus on this um, a month from now, you're going to be grateful that you went through this. Might cost you a few bucks. But you're going to be grateful. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Catherine. She wants to know, is it okay to tell people, I'm sorry, is it okay to tell the truth to people when you know it will upset them? Not only, Catherine, is it okay, but it's your duty, it's your responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, I have the, the advantage of um, facing a bunch of people, Sundays, Wednesdays, Fridays, I'm teaching, and and I know, I can see, it's visible, I can see what I'm teaching people is upsetting a whole bunch of them. It's interesting, I'll say something and there'll be a whole bunch of people out there saying amen and nodding their heads. And other people folding their arms and acting like I don't know what I'm talking about. I think that's narrow-minded. That's just the, the world that we live in. And we've been put on this earth, Catherine, to tell people the truth about Jesus Christ. So, yeah, tell them the truth. Make sure that they know that you have genuine concern for them. Make sure that they know that you love them. And I'm not one of those guys Is I love your bro, but not, not that at all. But but you start out by saying, look, I'm going to tell you the truth about something I know is going to upset you, and I'm telling you that, risking our friendship or our relationship in the process, because that's how much I love you. And then tell him the truth, and let the Holy Spirit do whatever it is he's going to do. But yes, it is okay and necessary. Our speech needs to be salty, and I don't mean profane, but... Um, uh, we've got a salt, a purifier, a preservative, um, but but seasoned with grace, full of grace, a little bit of salt, and let the ships fall where they may. Good question, Catherine. Thank you very very much. I had a question anonymous from out of state that uh, that I need to deal with before I get off. I thought I'd forgotten about it, but he asked me this weekend to do it. I've got a a man who used to come to this church. And he's involved in a church now in another state. They were moved because of the military. And um, uh, he's involved now with a new startup church. And the problem is is that um, his particular group leader, um, he and his wife are performing a surrogacy pregn- a surrogate pregnancy um, for two gay guys. And he said, I'm really concerned about that. And I I talked to the pastor about it. He didn't seem to be as concerned about it uh, as he ought to be. And I'm just thinking, you know, is this something that I need to deal with? And uh, my response to him was yes. You You can't, as a believer, you can't provide an innocent child Who's going to be raised to believe that sin is okay, or in this case, even worse than okay, that it's normal and it's a good thing. There's just no possible way. And what I told him was very simple. This is a a new church. I know you like the people there. You're invested in the relationships. However, a new church start needs to be focused on holiness. And this isn't a good start at all. And I told him, too, this is in connection with the, the last question that we just had. Um, you, you've got to tell them the truth in love. And and if, in fact, they're not concerned about this issue, then what you need to do is find another church. You know, we make relationships. We don't want to be the odd man or the odd woman out. But the reality is that that we simply cannot be a part of something that is so Openly sinful. There's nothing wrong with being a surrogate for a couple that can't have a child. Nothing at all. I think that's a a selfless act, a sacrificial act. Uh, I I think the, the Lord would approve of that. However, to provide a child who is going to be raised in an environment that is utterly sinful, And to say, well, I'm doing this. And in fact, the couple that's involved say, well, we felt like the Lord led us to do this for these people. That's simply somebody who doesn't know the Lord or his character at all. Very, very important. Here's a question, Anonymous. Uh, How can you reconcile God judging people forever and him supposedly being loving? You know, Anonymous, we, we know God is love. But what we forget is that he is infinitely holy. God is holy. In fact, holiness is his overarching attribute. It is the most important thing about his character. God cannot be loving if he is not also holy. And so all of his other attributes, his love, his patience, his His uh, being slow to anger, uh, all of that, stems from who he is, and first and foremost, he is absolutely holy. And in his love, he sent his son to die for the sins of the world. He makes it difficult to go to hell. Literally, we have to step over his son's dead and resurrected body. So... um, God has to judge. A holy God has to judge. There has to be a punishment for sin. Anonymous, your sins were punished. It's just that as a believer, Jesus took the punishment in your place. We had communion here yesterday at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. And when we take the cracker the bread and we eat it, we eat it because he demonstrated his love for us practically. Because he couldn't stand to see us punished. So he let the full wrath of God be poured out on him. God has to judge sin. If he doesn't judge sin, if he just overlooks it, then he's not God. Because there's no holiness. And we think about love, but we don't think about holiness. And anonymous, that's what needs to be done. So uh, assuming you're a believer, um, these are questions that you need the answers to um but, but, as a believer if you're if you're in the Word, you're going to realize you're going to come face to face with the fact that God is holy above all other things. I wish God could just overlook sin, but then, as I say that, he wouldn't really be God if he could. so there's nothing to reconcile. you know God loves us so much that He gives us the opportunity to choose. And I think many times what motivates questions like this, Anonymous, is we want to be able to choose to do the wrong thing and avoid the um, consequences of that thing. And that's just not possible. In the world that we live in, there are consequences to sin. And in this case, there are consequences to rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that consequence is heaven or hell. And if you choose not to believe in Jesus Christ, not to surrender to his lordship in your life, um, then you've made that choice with the full knowledge that the consequences will follow. So that's how much he loves you. And because he loves you, he's provided a place for those who believe, those who say yes to God, whether there be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more disease, no more illness. But that's a reward a reward that is not available to those who reject Jesus Christ. So I have no difficulty at all reconciling those two things because they don't need to be reconciled. God is both holy and he's loving. And the fact that he already proved his love beyond any doubt is something that every one of us needs to settle in our own hearts and minds immediately. Alejandro says, Pastor Ron, is somebody saved if they die with unrepentant sin? Alejandro, people are saved if they're born-again Christians. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, when you gave yours to him, all of your sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven. If you're truly born again, if you've, you've, you you've you really believe that Jesus is Lord, you've asked him to take control of your life, and if there's fruit of that, and by that I mean if there's evidence that you're not the same person that you used to be, then your sins are forgiven. What happens if somebody, a believer, dies with unrepentant sin? It just means that as long as that sin Uh, wasn't confessed, and and there was no genuine repentance, it means that their fellowship with God was broken. And the reality then is that they're going to continue to sin. But the sins are still forgiven. If, in fact, they're born-again believers, Um, sin is always forgiven. But fellowship's broken when we are unrepentant about that sin. So, Alejandro, I hope that makes sense to you. We're running out of time here, so let me get to Matt's question. This may be the last one. Um, Matt says, what do you think will happen now to the Asbury Revival? And I assume, Matt, you mean because they've pushed them off the campus and stuff. I don't know. I don't know what will happen to it. Here's what I hope happens, Matt. I hope that those young men and women who were on their faces repenting, confessing and repenting, uh, who were on their feet, their arms raised worshiping God Uh, my prayer is that those men and women have been changed forever and that the sins that they repented of are sins that they will now walk away from for good Um, you know there's been a lot of criticism you know there were people that said they were gay and and um, um, you know that that's a good thing gay people need to repent and uh, I hope that's what happened Uh, We'll find out. Here's what I do know for sure, Matt. All of those people are going to stand before the Lord. And because they were touched by God, because they had the privilege of being um, a part of this wonderful experience, they are now more accountable than they were before. And I have high hopes for it. You know, the the, the last revival in this country, the Jesus movement um, in the late 60s and early 70s, Um, uh, A lot of those people God has used to change the world that we live in. A lot of those people serve the Lord faithfully and fruitfully for a long time and no longer are. So God will deal with them. I hope and pray that there's the kind of fruit coming out of Asbury that God desires when, in fact, he takes the time to visit us in an event like this, so it was spontaneous; it just happened, and uh, I think most of the people that were there uh, were were um, feel that they were privileged to be a part of it. Matt, I had the opportunity um, a week ago to talk to two older men, older than me. Praise the Lord! Somebody is. But they were older than I am, and they, they were in Asbury. Both of them were graduates of Asbury College when they went to it. Now it's Asbury University. Um, uh, both Wesleyan Methodists, the, the the school's roots are Methodist. And while the United Methodist Church has really messed things up, um, Wesleyans, those who believed what John Wesley was, was teaching, um, you know, the, the, their hearts were so encouraged by this revival at Asbury and very, very hopeful. I think it's our responsibility, also, Matt, to be hopeful about it. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I was encouraged. I, I'm praying that people will continue in their faith. Uh, and our responsibility is to pray for them, not to doubt, not to be cynics, but just pray, Lord, they were touched by your spirit bless them. And oh Lord, while I'm asking, touch me with your spirit as well. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow on AM 630 Word. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We'll see you at four on AM 630, The Word.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.